Welcome to Tool Talk, the weekly podcast for Toolaholics, where all your DIY, home improvement, automotive, and tool-related questions are answered, and your need, physical need to talk tools is completely served. And now, the hosts of Tool Talk, Chuck Cage and Sean O'Hara from Toolmonger.com, the web's first tool blog. I'm Chuck. I'm Sean. And welcome to Tool Talk, podcast number 38. Today is Friday, April 17, 2008. If you'd like to give us a ring, you can actually call us at 866-718-9403. That's 866-718-9403. Or you can email us at ckage or s-o-hara, that's c-c-a-g-e or s-o-h-a-r-a at toolmonger.com. And we actually have a very interesting call this week. Yes, we do. This is Paul. I have a uh, skill 6425 uh, hammer drill corded. I want to know if there is how the uh, chuck comes off. Is it splined onto the shaft or is it uh, threaded on? And whether or not is there a keyless replacement chuck available for this unit? My next question is on nailers, some are 30 degree, some are th- 28 degree. What exactly is the degree? Uh, pertain to and what are the advantages uh, and disadvantages of these different degrees? Thank you. Well, Paul, you know, your first half of the question here about the skill hammer drill uh, has been a little difficult for us to run down so far. We're still checking with skill to see if we can get an engineer who remembers that and can uh, answer the question for us. But I can tell you that it is probably unlikely that they offer a keyless chuck replacement for it. Uh, because, you know, they're not extremely expensive drills, and uh, it's not the kind of thing that they're probably going to have available. Uh, However, we are looking for confirmation on how it removes for you. But I think we have an answer for your your nail gun question. Actually, we have uh, Jacek Romanski uh, from Passload who might be able to help us out with the nail gun question. Good. How are you, Sean? All right. Can you shed some light on what these different angles mean? Sure. Um, There's a couple of different degrees uh, when it comes to uh, doing any type of, of collation. Really, that's what we're talking about is putting a, a number of nails together in one strip or one coil. You basically either have strip uh, nailers or coil nailers, or when it comes to finished nailers, they're all, the nails are all in one strip as well. Um, when it comes to framing nailers, they usually come into, they can fall into three or, three or four categories. Um, within the strip nailers, you have 20-degree or 22-degree uh, strip nailers, you have 28-degree, and you have 30, 33-degree strip nailers. And the reason for the difference is the amount of nails you can really put together um, in, one, in one setting. So, for example, Pazload, we make 33-degree uh, framing nailers, um, which take the 33-degree paper-correlated nails. So when it comes to degree, it's actually, we're not as concerned as much about the degree of the nail as it really is the collation medium. So in this case, it's paper. You can fit more nails on a paper strip um, because of the, the way they're situated versus on a 20 degree, they're plastic collated, and you can, only, you can do about 25, 30% less nails per strip than when compared to a paper collated uh, framing strip of nails. Now, you also hear 20-degree, and that's primarily uh, a Bostitch nail, which also has a wire weld uh, collation. So really what you're talking about is paper collated, wire collated, or plastic collated nails. Wow. And uh, does, does the head make any difference? Like you see the half round head or round head and all that kind of thing, does that yeah. make a difference? That's a really good question, Sean. 
traditionally, back years ago, all nailers were um, were paper collated and they were clipped head because you can get a lot of nails and they were like or a D head as some people call them. Um, a couple uh, 15, 20 years ago, um, someone made a round-headed collated nail, and the reason they had to they had to space it out a little bit more because of the round head. They went to the 20-degree plastic. So all your plastic collated nails will be um, full head, full round head, and your paper collated will be clipped head, except that Pazload came up with a patented um, feature where they have a full offset head on a paper collated nail. So you still get the same type of uh, paper collation with a full head nail, but in a paper type of collation where you can get more nails per, pay, per strip there's no plastic debris on the job site or flying debris that can um, that basically get into uh, places. Um, it can be even a, a safety issue. So paper is still where Pazload is, is, is developing their resources and their nails, as long with the, the full offset uh, head nail, which is also considered to be uh, code approved. And, and just if you could explain what the full offset means for our listeners. Sure. So... Normally, if you think of a nail, you have a, a full circular head, and right in the middle of that head would be where the nail is. Right. And we're talking about offset, so we now look like, if you look, think about a railroad spike, you have a, the head is still circular, except the, the, the rest of the shank of the nail is not right in the middle. It's, say, off to the right or to the left, depending which way you're looking at it, um, uh, from the perspective of, of where that, that uh the rest of that shank is compared to the to the circular head of the nail. So if you think again of a railroad spike with or like a, um, a very short upside down L. Yeah, right. That's kind of what we're talking about. Well, and uh, we've seen uh, here recently in the Toolbunker shop, you had a uh, we got a hold of the uh, uh, thirty degree gas uh, pass load nailer, and uh, it uh, I think that's a paper system as well, isn't it? Correct. You're talking, I believe, about the CF three twenty five. It's a new cordless framing nail that they were yes. launching. That's the one. Hammond, was it uh, was it specifically designed for the the thirty degrees on purpose, just to to fit all the the new paper load in there? Correct. That's our next generation cordless framing nailer. We've invented that system back in nineteen eighty six, and we've had that paper collation medium ever since then. It actually works uh, works out fairly well. We looked at uh, we've got a couple nailers around the shop, and a couple of them take the plastic strips, and a couple of them, you know, uh, of course the pass loads take the uh, the paper. And uh, the cool thing about it is just from our end is you can actually fit. I, I think it's like fifty or seventy five or something like that shots. I mean of of uh, you know seventy or two a lot and a half of nails. Inch, yeah, two and a half inch nails. You got seventy five shots in this little bitty gun. Sure. Uh, so that's that's actually pretty incredible. So. Yeah, the, the, and it's the convenience of having it in a, in a cordless application without the the hose and the compressor tagging uh, along behind you, is, is you know gives you the freedom to move around the job site. Well, that's very cool, and we really appreciate you taking a little time to answer a listener question and uh, to kind of clue us in a little bit on uh, on nail binding. Sure, anytime. You know, I I was watching CSI the other night, <laughs> and uh, I saw this pass this cordless pass load gun. It was used as a murder weapon. <laughs> I'm like, that is such BS. Oh, yeah. You, well, you couldn't do it. Well, first of all, you look at it and you're like, wow, that's an orange cordless. Hey. Yeah, there's you know? so many of those on the market. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I looked at it, I freeze framed and I went and got the pass load and everything. I'm like, holy crap, that's the same gun. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, well, obviously it won't function like that, you know, and because uh, it's, it's 
almost impossible. First of all, you'd have to disable every safety mechanism that that the gun has to actually fire. Which is surprisingly difficult. Yeah, it's not just as simple as, you know, taking a glove, holding the the, the trigger lock up and everything or, you know, and you're the, good to go. And you're it good doesn't to go. work. It yeah, won't fire. It, it won't fire. So, when you if you finally do manage to finagle it into firing, which you is, can. It's it, difficult, but it you is, can. It is possible, but if there's you, not enough energy in it to do any real. No, it, it's all expended in like the first three inches, and then you know it's after it that pops a nail like a couple of feet. Yeah, it's like woo. You know, you know the thing I never understand is they always want to use it as the odd murder. I mean, ever since Lethal Weapon, yeah, you know, sure, Danny Glover used one. It's always been like ooh, you know, it's the it's the, cool, the gun that's not a gun, weapon, and, and, yeah. and that's that's bull. It's a tool. You can hurt people with it. You know, you could brain someone with a big wrench. It's it's not something you'd really want to do. I would be way more comfortable braining somebody with it than I would <laughs> shooting nails. Out of it. It'd be way easier. Well, I mean, if you well, anyway, we won't go into that. But I just <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, we found an answer uh, for for your question there. I think I was I was educated. Yeah. Oh you know, yeah. I, I I had no idea. Well, and uh, once you see them and, and you start making it, sort of makes sense of all the nail selections you have and, and why they are like that and, and what's <laughs> going on. So, um, I, quite frankly, I'm in favor of the lots of nails, little space. And, oh, yeah. And I'm not a big fan of the clipped nails if you've ever had to remove them. I, I don't like that. So, <laughs> I like the full red, full round offset for whatever that's worth. Indeed. Well, without further you know, a do, I think we ought to, yeah, this, you know, a do, a do we, I think should jump right into the top five, the top five. Oh yes. The intro I have yet to make. Yes. All right. Uh, so, uh, number five is uh Festool's KS 120 miter saw is actually coming out uh, before the vaporware people... saw. Exactly. Uh, sometime around actually this time last year, uh, we we uh, we did wrote a, a post, uh, yeah did a preview about it and then Festool has just been completely sitting on it for an entire year now. <laughs> they've had uh, they've had some issues and they've had some stuff, but uh, we hear from uh, multi multiple sources that uh, Festool is actually shipping them to uh, dealers and uh, authorized outlets and stuff. Come a couple months here, you know the crazy thing is though that as popular as Festool is with 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 some segments of the market it's very strange they're not selling directly in the u.s anymore apparently no i mean as far as i can tell and 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 they're shutting down uh they're shutting down their their direct order website as well so you have to go through distributed dealers and, and there just aren't a lot of them no no they're they're i can count on one hand the 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 amount Rock of people. is the big one yeah you know yeah but I, I, I know that off the top of my head, but I was surprised. I mean, I actually heard from a friend who was looking for a specific, you know, tool mm-hmm. and just having a hell of a time finding it in the U.S. And I just, I, I'm not sure exactly how this works. I mean, on one hand, I understand it. You know, it's kind of like the, um, you know, the, the, the tool truck sort of thing. You know, there's a way they do things. and, and Sure, I, I just, I, I don't see how that... I, I think it would be much better if they opened it up a little bit more, and I know it would be more hassle, and, and yeah, you'd have to figure out how to ship stuff across the pond and, and all that, but, you know, you could do that. I mean, it, it's just not that hard. Other other manufacturers do it all the time. I mean, you well, could probably figure out a way to get that done. I don't think it's a practical issue for them as much as some kind of business decision, and this is my own, you know, worthless opinion, mm-hmm. but I just, I get the feeling that this this is them saying, you know, we don't want to be in the tool 
marketing business. We want to be in the you know in the tool retail business. We want to be in the tool marketing and wholesale business. Right. And uh, maybe that's good for them. I don't know, but I'll tell you this: I think it's made things a bit more difficult for Festool users in the U.S. Well, I'll tell you what: I, I actually am a big fan of their tools, and I own zero of them. Well, that's because you're an incredible cheap ass. Uh, yeah, let me let me get to that. I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> one, one is I buy what I can find, and two, I'm a cheap ass. Which has, you're you're out for festival. I'm out. I mean, this this miter saw is thirteen hundred bucks. Okay, <laughs> tell me what you paid for your miter saw. Eighty eight bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and man, that miter saw has done all, all kinds of stuff. Kinds of work. Furniture, so, desk, trim, oh, crown molding. Oh, yeah, I mean, anything. I don't know. What all you I mean, and it's a compound miter saw. No, it's not a sliding compound miter right, saw, sure. but it's a compound miter saw, and it's done all kinds of stuff. So you're the one who looks at like the five hundred and seventy dollar Bosch and says, "Oh man, I I just can't, I just can't, I, I can't do it." <laughs> it's so a beautiful this one saw, is, and this is just out of my. This no. one is double out of your range, but anyway. Although so I will say it's it's uh, it's got a variable speed. Ooh. which is nice. Oh, that's cool. That is really, you can cut almost anything if you speed up slow, and you have the right blade, of course. But, sure, I mean, yeah, you, right. You can cut almost anything with that, so that is really cool. Man. Um, Not $1,300 cool for Way out of me, my price range, yeah, for me, but, but it's I mean, pretty cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's number five, and supposedly it's supposed to be released in uh, June, July, so uh, it's coming, <laughs> you know. The normal kind of notice you get on tools. Well, sure, you know. Public notice. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Summerish, you know. Uh, let's see here. Uh, number four, uh, Irwin's tie-downs enter adjustable territory. Oh, man, these were cool. This is neat, actually. Indeed. And actually what this is is uh, your standard, you know, strap rubber type tie downs, however, or, you know, bungee straps, whatever you want to call them, although they're rubber. And uh, normally the problem you have is either your your They're, your too, strap long they're is, too short. Yeah, way too long and you have to wrap it around the world. Or, and they don't stretch, they're no good. Or it's, you know, got so much tension on it, you know, <laughs> it's, it's going to fly off and hurt somebody <laughs> at any given time. So uh, these have slots in the middle of them that you hook the the hooks to, and you can adjust your length, tension, whatever you want to do by by hooking into these slots. Now, the other cool thing is you can weave uh, some web strapping into these bad boys and strap stuff down further. Oh, cool. Yeah, you can get uh, that one or one and a half inch uh, web strapping through the slots as well. So you can use these as kind of a tie-down mechanism that way too. So um, these are actually pretty nice. Pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's worthy. As Score far as for Irwin. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Good great for them. stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's coming available here pretty soon and uh, reasonably inexpensive. So, Always good. Yeah. A, a win all around as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm going to have some of these. Uh, let's see here. Uh, number three, uh, the six-in-one card level. Oh, yeah. This is that little business card looking thing, Yeah, right? it's a business card. It's like six millimeters thick, and it's got a plumb. <laughs> six millimeters thick. It's yeah. not like you're going to put it in your wallet. No. No, it's not a business card, but it's... it's You're going to have, like, third ass cheek going <laughs> if you exactly. put this thing in your it's wallet. It's like a cell phone. I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's it's like... I guess cell know. phone level just doesn't really have the same ring as card level. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, it's about the size of, like, a, a Razor phone or something like that, and uh, it's... It's got, you know, a couple levels and a grade measure and a plum on it and, you know, some other stuff. And it, it's actually reasonably interesting. It's just, it's it's like 15 bucks and they only sell it in Europe. So, 
So it's like <laughs> to get it over here, you're paying thirty five bucks. I'll just go buy a level. Thank you. You could fly over and put it in your wallet. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe Europeans are more into like the big wallet. You know, uh, you know could be. You know, like the wallet. man bag or something. I mean, it'd fit maybe in there. You carry it different. Is it, yeah, you know. we're gonna get we're gonna get an email now. Oh yeah, no, I'm totally I'm on somebody's list now. Uh, let's see here. We're, let's move on. <laughs> the uh, number two, uh, the Bosch Quick Change Whole Sauce System. Now this is actually kind of nice. Oh, I, yeah? I was yeah I was talking to uh, the guys at Bosch the other day, and they put out this kick ass video of because I was actually not too enthused. This about is the adjustable this. one, right? Well, this is the Quick Change one. This is the one. Yeah, I mean it's adjustable, but it's Quick Change. So you have uh, there's two actual pieces to this. Um, there's one that you you adjust and you can quick change and, and do the sauce. So it's like a collet uh, quick release type, and you can uh, just put this thing in your drill and uh, you know do a quick release and remove whole sauce. You can sure. also remove the cup from the bit, so you can put in the bit and uh, the, the you know the, oh, okay. the pilot. So this bit. isn't the adjustable one. You can just swap it out in a hurry. Yeah, I mean this is you can you can remove the bit and put in put in another cup and all that kind of thing and just pop all these things in so you it's it's like a double quick change you can change the pilot bit you can change the cup and both of them go very quickly so um you don't have to carry like seven tons of of whole saws and <laughs> like these huge lined out cases you can carry a couple pilot bits and a couple cups and interchange them in a couple seconds nice and uh you're good to go and it's this little bitty kit so i was pretty impressed i had no idea what what the big deal was until i saw the video and i'm like oh Oh, I get it. That's nice. And, and that's the thing with tools sometimes. You know, you, 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 you just see it and you think, well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's you a whole saw kit. Who cares? You know? I've, you know, I've seen a hundred of them. Yeah. It takes forever to load them. Who cares? You know? And then, and then you see the Bosch work and you're like, oh, well, now I that's useful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I get it now. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that was the number two. It's, uh, a full set of, uh, the Bosch quick change systems and the quick change adapter and all that kind of stuff run you a hundred bucks. But Ooh. if you now, now whole saw kits are expensive. Now whole saw kits are expensive. If you Good went out, whole saw kits are really expensive. Yeah. I went out and priced everything in that kit except for the adapter and all that kind of stuff. And even without the adapter or if, like you, if you just bought whole, if saws. you just bought whole saws, you'd spend more for this kit than well, you would no for argument this. there then. So I'm, I'm really can't complain. Uh, on that Sounds one fair. so it's uh it's and it's a bosch system so you know it probably works fairly well further man i can't even talk fairly well <laughs> um, but uh so, it's friday man yeah i know and uh so that one was pretty cool uh check it out if you have time for that and then uh number one the number one was the ultra shear from super knife this is that ratcheting shear right uh, this one's uh, ratcheting, or I think it, it might have... The one have, that ratchets down as you squeeze it, gets a little bit each time, cuts real big stuff? Uh, cuts real big stuff, but uh, the, the big thing on this one that I saw was it uses a, uh, a block and razor blade method. Oh. So instead of sharpening your shears and pruning stuff and everything like that... Swap this the thing, blade out? You swap the blade out. It takes a what, standard what razor blade. the blade? Um, well, not if you're using some of that new blade stuff. Oh, maybe. I mean... <laughs> I've broken those bimetal blades and all that kind of thing from all kinds of yeah, right. places. The unbreakable. But, yeah, the unbreakable. Oh, it'll break. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Obviously, hasn't you been You might around. have to do something stupid with it, but hey, we never do that. No, no, you know. And I don't mean on purpose either. No, I, I mean, yeah, we, we do crazy stuff with things. So yeah, I saw it and I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. Um, I'm a little leery of the, uh, the razor blade system, but uh, then again, you know. 
If you don't like sharpening, you just want to pop another blade in there. If you buy a pack of ten blades for like two bucks, if you snap yeah, one, if you who snap cares? one, who cares? Yeah. So uh, it might be pretty cool, and it's reasonably inexpensive. So clearly, readers uh, thought it was interesting. We're we're uh, liking the the super knife, so or the the ultra shear. You know, it's important to note though that when readers vote these to like number one, it doesn't necessarily mean they approve of the tool. It just means, means they're that, interesting, right? Yeah. It's something that they really caught their interest. So yeah. maybe with something like this, they're thinking like we are. I wonder if it works. Right. You know, sounds so, like an interesting idea. Yeah. So uh, it uh, and it does sound like an interesting idea. I, I know I I have a pair of uh, sticks that resemble uh, pruning shears. <laughs> uh, they used to have an edge on them. <laughs> no more. Now I just kind of hack and squeeze up and down until oh, something falls sad. off. Yeah, it's great. So. Uh, yeah, that's the uh, top five for this week. also have with us this week uh, one of our friends who uh, I don't know if you'd say famous or infamous but we have the I'll, I'll go with famous we have the famous Mr. Jalopy and uh, you seem to get around a lot these days I try to keep pretty busy <laughs> well we were talking the other day and you were telling me a little bit about a, a, a visit to your shop from some uh, I think you described them as as obsessive uh, Japanese tool magazine people and uh, we just had to share it with listeners. So Yeah, it was a fascinating visit, Chuck. These guys found me. I was in a Japanese magazine before that was called Garage Life, which is actually an obsessive magazine about what they, what they call in Japan garaging or the garage lifestyle, which means having an uh, obsessively tended, beautiful, immaculate garage, and your buddies come over and you hang out and you consider your cars <laughs> and you, you hold tools. And, and I mean, it just makes total sense. I don't know why we don't call it garaging here. And then out of that, that was about two years ago. And then out of that, I got a call from Factory Gear magazine which is billed as the latest entertainment magazine of tools. And it is the most exquisitely beautifully photographed uh, tool porn that I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. It's just totally fascinating. They sent me a copy before they showed up, and I was completely sold on it. And uh, there, um, it turns out there's a Japanese tool company in Japan called Dean Tools, and they have a bunch of retail stores called Factory Gear. And Factory Gear does 40% of their business to professionals and 60% to hobbyists. And they are immaculate, very high-end uh, tool retailers that um, are – they sell all the top brands. They sell Snap-on. And they sell uh, all the, the, the best of the European and Japanese brands. Like they sell Nipix. And some of their tools line up with Klein pretty well. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, right. Some, some would be with Klein, probably higher end than Klein. Um, and then like Hazit, you know, the German brand Hazit. Right. Mm -hmm. That, you know, comes in Mercedes toolkits and sure. is also you know, a professional Mercedes or a professional uh, mechanics tool. 
and uh, Stahlwill. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's another German brand that's been around since, I think, the, the 1800s. Oh, yeah. Um, Actually, we used a set of their wrenches, I believe. Uh, the, there were extreme offset wrenches. We were changing the water pump on a, nine, a 944, Porsche 944. And uh, some of the, uh, you know, of course, the whole front end of the engine has to come off with uh, the, the timing belt and the balance shaft belt. And they have the pulleys for them. Uh, are only accessible via these extreme offset wrenches. Like, we're not talking about a little bit. We're talking about a 90-degree offset where the end of the wrench just drops down straight. Like an inch and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I know exactly what you're talking about. I know that kind of tool. It's almost like the tool... Let me think of what they use that. It's it's a... Uh, you know what it is? Uh, Snap-on sells a tool like that as a um, starter tool for getting into a to a like a gm starter on the back of an engine block i could see that yeah absolutely absolutely same same sort of tool anyway so they sell that and then they sell high-end japanese brands like uh nepros have you ever seen nepros tools actually i have uh not in my hand but i have seen them <laughs> they're they're another you know obsessively uh you know high degree of finish uh you know beautiful chrome plating uh, they look kind of like a, like Matco or something like that, but they also do beautiful wood-handled uh, screwdrivers that look like an old proto. It's so beautiful, I've never seen a commercial screwdriver as high quality. How do they compare to, uh, like, Lai Nielsen or something? I don't know that brand. Is that a woodworking brand? Absolutely. You betcha. Yeah. See, I'm I'm a mechanic guy. I'm a metal worker <laughs> and, a, and a car guy. So I don't know about the uh, super high-end woodworking tools, but I know that they are crazy high quality. See, Sean and I go back and forth about this all the time because when we first met, uh, I had done some welding and some metal fabrication and mechanic work. He had done mechanic work, but uh, a lot more woodwork than I have. And early on, we had these relatively uh, in-depth discussions I, i'm going to make the little signs on my fingers <laughs> we'll discussions, call them discussions yeah. yeah more arguments about you know whether we should build something out of wood or out of metal and uh, you know there are advantages and disadvantages to each and it's kind of funny over the years we've gone from that to kind of meeting in the middle and we find that we use both pretty regularly now right and in combination yeah that's the smart way to go i my my wood working skills my metal working skills are poor <laughs> my woodworking skills are somewhere beyond poor. My woodworking skills are awful, as evidenced by the stuff that I haul to Maker Fair every year. <laughs> as I show myself to be some kind of an expert, and everybody's looking at it, thinking, you know, what kind of what kind of terrible crap is hey, this? It works, right? That's that, right. <laughs> yeah, that's ninety percent of in the end of the project. In right the end, there, that is indeed the important part. I, I totally agree. You need to embrace your amateurism. You know, we're not experts. And we, we just do it anyway. And, you know, the alternative is to not do it, which is not acceptable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Sean has been pushing for I don't know how long uh, this whole deal with furniture. And it's really funny because we, we catch so much crap from people about it. Um, Sean came up with some relatively easy ways to build nice furniture around the house using essentially uh, oak ply that you can buy inexpensively at, at, at any big box store and uh, hardwood oak trim, which is also available inexpensively at almost any big box store, and putting it together with essentially, uh, you know, nails and glue. And when I say nails, I'm, I, I really mean almost brads, 18 gauge, and uh, 
and a cirque saw and you know a palm sander and a belt sander for fixing the problems you create with the cirque saw right and the whole thing ends up going together you can build very inexpensive furniture it looks quite nice and uh, it's so funny. We hear so often from people, oh, no, 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 you have to have a table saw to build furniture. And if you don't have a table saw, just don't bother. And and mm-hmm. like you said, it's like either you have to have this this expert workshop and every tool made and 10 years of experience, or you're just not supposed to build furniture. And that really bothers me. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you know, the great thing about about make and what you guys are doing is, you know, the demystifying of this stuff that you can get reasonable quality results that's better than your neighbors if you just go out there and try it. And it's the only way that your skills are going to get any better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So back to the to the Japanese (laughs) tool magazine as we get off on our philosophical points on (laughs) on tools and amateurism. So in addition to selling those brands, they, they also sell this house brand called Dean, which looks like a snap-on knockoff, frankly. It, <laughs> it, most of the pieces, uh, like the ratchets, look almost exactly the same. Screwdrivers are a little different, but they have all the common stuff that you're used to uh, seeing on, on snap-on, like the uh, like the seven sixteenths, um, uh, basically nut under the handle that you can put a wrench on to torque the screwdriver. Oh, you know yeah. what I'm talking sure. about? Oh yeah. So it, it's that kind of a stuff, but really beautifully finished, and they're made in Taiwan, which blew me away because I know that the that uh, you know Japanese historically are uh, as snobby as we are about where our tools are made, <laughs> and they make them in Taiwan, and they're a fraction of the price of Snap-on, uh, like probably 20%, 25% of the price of Snap-on, and they're exquisite tools. You know, this is something that comes up a lot around Toolmonger as well. You know, we we hear a lot of, uh, there are, of course, people who uh, are always pushing us with the only buy if it's made in America. And then, of course, the question that comes to mind is, what about the rest of the world? You know, do people in Germany, do people in Japan, do, do people in Australia, uh, do they feel the same way? And of course, the answer is no, they don't. And even more so in the U.S., you know, 20, 30 years ago, you tended to look at uh, it, it was relatively safe to say that if you had something that was made, uh, you know, in Taiwan or China, that it was going to be of inferior quality to something that was made in the U.S. And now we find that that design and QC quality control and, and and how the negotiations work between the two countries seem to have as much to do with the quality of the tool as where it's made. If if a company, for example, designs a tool and then uh, contracts with a company in in uh, China or in Taiwan to make a particular tool, uh, to make that tool, and then they specify the entire process with quality control throughout, you get a different tool than if you say just send out the design and take the lowest bidder. And at the same time, you end up with uh, sometimes quite a difference in the quality of the tools you get back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's it. You make a great point, Chuck, because it's it's who is in the driver's seat of who's the visionary in putting together these tools, and then you know it's would be frankly racist to say that a Chinese or a Taiwanese company couldn't make a high quality product. Of course they can make a high quality product. It's just a change in the economics and a change in the manufacturing of how they have been uh, assembling stuff uh, in the past. And these guys that came to visit me from Factory Gear Magazine so impressed me 
with their knowledge of hand tools. And, you know, and I've been buying hand tools at garage sales for 20 years. Sure. So I think, (laughs) I think I know a thing or two about hand tools and these guys were so geeked out over the smallest feature on a plum wrench from 60 or 70 years ago of pointing out some bit of minutia on the wrench that made it stronger or better (laughs) or what the angle was or whatever it was that, you know, in a very short period of time, I'm like, man, these are the guys that I want designing my tools. This is no haphazard thing. <laughs> these guys are true, pure believers in the in the beauty of the tools. You know, we, we learned a lot about tools when a while back we visit hand tools in specific. When we visited uh, one of uh, Stanley Works actual factories and on in the same factory they made uh they made tools for the Stanley brand for the Mac brand of course and for the uh Stanley Proto brand and it's so funny you hear people say oh well these tools they're all made by the same people well this is true they are indeed all made by the same people but what was really educational was what's the difference between an assembly line that's producing say uh you know a wrench for Stanley versus producing a wrench for Mac versus producing a wrench for Proto and there were there were some really interesting differences. One thing that we learned is that, like on a on a on a wrench in specific, you ask yourself what makes a good wrench, and of course it doesn't break. That's that's what makes a great wrench. Maybe easy to clean as well, but uh, why doesn't it break? And there are some pretty key design elements, like for example, uh, the radiusing of the of the corners. You know, when a when a tool is stamped out. Uh, it takes extra steps in the process to in the manufacturing process to radius those corners and to to essentially machine them very accurately. So the more radius corners you see, uh, and and the difficulty of that design makes one tool significantly more expensive to manufacture than another one. At the same time, you also have more quality control checks in a more expensive tool line. You might see four, five, six extra stations, of course, manning those. Uh, you look at the addition of cost per tool, and it kind of makes you think that, hey, you know, even if these are made in the same building. They're not the same tool. Right. And and ever since then, I've really found myself looking at tools much more closely than I did before. No, that's a great point. And, and you know, something that I don't really think about is w- when I think about the radius that is on a, on a, a box wrench or, you know, the, the, the subtle details like that. I think of those as being design differences of a uh, more finessed and an elegant tool. But you make a great point is that that's not by accident. It's not coming out cast like that. These are additional steps in the manufacturing to get that refinement to be what it is. And that refinement pays off in actual strength because, you know, a square a square corner uh, distribute, does not distribute stress nearly as evenly as a radius corner. And, and that's where a box end in specific will end up breaking. Absolutely. And that's where Absolutely. you find uh, the tools that last and last and last and you give to your kids and all that kind of thing. The tools that, like like you said, you could find at a garage show that are 70 years old, they're that you know they're that old because they've managed to last that long because they've that they, somebody took that much care in making them right you know when the guys came i guess there is not a huge i don't know that there's a huge group of hand tool collectors in the US but there really are not a lot of hand tool collectors in Japan <laughs> and especially when it comes to imported brands that they didn't have there and they have great reverence for uh the american brands like uh you know, Plum becoming Proto and uh, Snap-on 
Matco and Mac and and Old Craftsman and and all of those brands, they have a, a real reverence for it. And when they came, the first hour of them being at my shop was walking around looking in drawers and just going, oh, oh, look at that. oh, as they just pulled more and more tools out. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, during the visit, they ended up being here for six or eight hours. During the visit, we found tools I forgot that I had. <laughs> Which is easy to do. You're like, oh, that's where that went. It, it really is. Things that I don't even remember buying. And, and we'd pull it out and they'd point out why it was such a great tool. And I think, well, I guess that's going to go up a drawer higher so that I use that. <laughs> yeah, and it's often that the... that you know, those specialty tools and, and they seem to be the ones that you find at the garage sale because it's not something that you'd go out and shell out for brand new, but the, those specialty tools that'll dig you out of a hole, like those, like those offset wrenches we were talking about, you know, it's like, you just, you're screwed. If you don't have one, you may not get it out, but once every two or three years, but when you need it, you need it bad. Yeah, no, it's really true. And you know, another thing that happens, you know, when you're buying tools at garage sales, especially, the tools have been picked. We all know that. You know, the three different family members have come through and, and picked through the tools. And oh, tools sure. have been used and lost out of that original kit over a long period of time. So oftentimes the stuff that is left are those specialty tools that uh, that a, a neophyte to tools wouldn't recognize what it was used for, and therefore it would never have gotten used. And sometimes those are the, the best preserved, and uh, oftentimes the only tools that are left are those special tools. <laughs> we were laughing at the at the pawn shop the other, it was a while back, I think. But yeah. I think it was a, it was a bolt cutter, you know, the uh, mm-hmm. actually a rebar cutter. Right. And uh, one of these things that you know it was in the shop because either somebody, well, somebody swiped it or, or somebody inherited it had no idea what it was and went and pawned it and they didn't know what it was so they put it out on the shelf thinking ah, eh, well and i think it was like a hundred bucks or a hundred marked 110 which is a lot in a pawn shop right mm-hmm. and and this is like a a fifteen hundred dollar tool yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's uh sometimes you can come across stuff with pawn shops but now that you know, with the power of google of people being able to enter the model number off of it it's getting a lot harder to find any deals in pawn shops i think <laughs> indeed oh yeah somebody uh just the other day pull uh pull an old stanley uh you know, manual brace or, or you know corkscrew drill and everything and it was uh one of the original ones and it you know, now they're worth hundreds of dollars and everything like that. And uh, guys like, oh, it's not cordless and it's not really electric and everything. You know, I gave him like three bucks for it. <laughs> you know, I nearly died or beat him to death with it and tried to run off, you know. So you still have a little bit of chance with the items that don't have a model number on them. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, back then, Stanley just stamped it and, you know, off it went and you knew it was a Stanley, you know, but now not so much. So these guys... Just tore the shop apart. They put it back together. <laughs> well, yeah, they they were they were very uh, a pleasant, but it, it was a bit of an effort to get everything back together, and uh, and it was fascinating. I, I scanned the whole magazine article, and it's up on my on my site, Hoopty Rides, so you can go and see what they chose to uh, take pictures of. For example, I have a huge number of pullers of, you know, all different kinds of bearing pullers and steering wheel pullers and brake drum pullers and all those kinds of pullers that you end up with. Good stuff to have. Yeah, yeah, great stuff to have. And, uh, you know, when you need a certain one, you can go through six of those different pullers before something actually fits (laughs) to 
to what you need to do. And I've got a bunch of great ones of protos and snap-ons and, and old ones. They had zero interest in that. They, <laughs> the most they useful had, thing in the shop to you, they don't want to see it. They, they didn't care. They didn't care about you know the tap and die sets that I had in the original oak boxes. What they cared about were the easily identifiable uh, classic hand tools of you know wrenches, pliers, uh, screwdrivers, you know, just kind of the the most uh, uh, basic things, which in some and to a certain extent uh, shows the point or proves the point that most of their business are amateurs, you know, buying these tools and assembling these collections. You know, it's funny. I think stage one of 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 tooldom, you know, is that you realize that a puller would help you in that given in a given situation. And, and step two is that you know which puller will help you. Step three <laughs> is you own one. And step four is you own a lot of them. And, and know you, how to use them. Right. And you'll look at something. I, we were out again in uh, in the pawn shop and at one point with one of our friends and we're looking at, at a puller and, and uh, the guy's like, what the hell is that? And Sean's like, it's, harmo- it's a harmonic balancer puller. You know, GM. It <laughs> <laughs> just looked from behind the counter like, who are you? <laughs> so now those are, now you just named the, the five levels of, of tools, right? <laughs> right. The, the five levels of puller. Well, there's the sixth level, which is you keep a broken puller because you might be able to make it into something else at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's called pack red, and we all have that disease. So. Yeah, when you have a box of broken pullers, just in case, that's when it's gone too far. Well, actually, you know, it's pretty bad. I have a, you remember the Black & Decker handy saw. Um, I had a couple in here, one that we tested, and and then I, I wrote about one for Popular Science. And at one point, uh, we were working on a diagram for the inside of one, and, and we were having trouble explaining exactly what it looked like. So I went down and ripped one of them apart and took pictures of it so they could understand, you know, what the, the artist can understand what it looks like. And, of course, you know, I forgot to put it back together. And the next thing you know, half the parts were in the trash can because, you know, hey, what do I need this piece of plastic for? I don't know. And uh, but we did manage to keep the cool little reciprocating mechanism because that just seems like that's why I, I bring this up because I caught hell in the shop for it from Sean. <laughs> yeah, Actually, true. the other day we about not no throwing it away. I'm like, that's a cool that. little reciprocating mechanism. We're going to keep that. Maybe I I'll, can see both sides of that argument. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll find something for it. I would I would keep it until I got too upset one day when I couldn't find something else. And I think these kinds of reciprocating mechanisms are keeping me from finding the screwdriver that I need when I need it. <laughs> We're going to trash that. Yeah. You know, I made the ultimate agreement with a friend of my father's who's a friend of mine. After my father died, we had to clean out his shop. And, and of course, I inherited a lot of really neat tools. But at the same time, we had to get rid of, you know, a large amount of scrap metal that, that was too large to uh, for me to keep at the time. Now, of course, I wish I had it. Um, but it took four or five days and a number of dumpsters to clear out the stuff that I couldn't just couldn't bring back to my shop. And uh, we made an agreement, a pact, which was that if either of us ever get sick, I mean, even a little bit, I'm like, I, I'm 38, you know, and if if I were to, you know, if I get a cold, he'll call me up and be like, you getting rid of some of the crap? <laughs> you, you, you're required to unload a little bit depending on how sick you are and the sicker you get the more you have to unload no, i know i know how that goes i you know i have a little store called coco's variety 
And uh, kind of an idiosyncratic store. I sell used bicycles, uh, filtered water, Latin medicines, uh, old glassware, and, and kind of whatever else. And I sell a lot of used tools. Uh, and, and the great thing about it is it's allowed me to keep buying tools super aggressively at garage sales. <laughs> what because now I can just put it out to sale. I get the thrill of buying and finding without the uh, the pain and agony of getting back to my shop and figuring out where I'm going to put it. <laughs> I have four inches, or four square inches of space. I guess I could fit a Buick in that. That'd be that'd work. <laughs> yeah, and the cars. So, I, I know you know about that. Uh, about car having problems? a couple no collecting cars the same way you collect a little reciprocating mechanism. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I right now I have. Uh, nine cars and about 80 bicycles. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And it is an uncomfortable uh, level. So, you know, you try and take these little steps to make it better. And the other day I'm in my basement and I'm having that, that, that same, that same moment that, that Chuck's talking about of when you, you know, you look at, uh, at your morality in the face and I open up a drawer of hook eyes and it's, and it's probably a, uh, fifteen pound drawer <laughs> of, of maybe you know a thousand hook eyes, and I totally have that moment where I think I'm forty years old. I think I am totally not going to use all these hook guys <laughs> before I die. I'm going to leave these behind. Somebody's going to so, inherit this. Yeah, somebody's going to inherit these hook eyes, and you know, and I better start getting rid of some. So I took a baby food jar. I filled it up with hook eyes. I took it upstairs to, to Coco's, to my store. I put it out for sale with a price on it at 99 cents. I came back downstairs, felt better for a half an hour. An hour after that, I went back up, got the jar of hook eyes, brought it back downstairs and emptied it back <laughs> into my drawer. Problem solved. <laughs> because you never know. Maybe I will use all those hook eyes before I die. You'll have to develop a specific project for them. Exactly. What could and, I build know, with a hundred with with I don't know nine hundred hook eyes? Nine hundred unmatched hook eyes. <laughs> very important. Yeah. <laughs> Something that would be very easy to hang. <laughs> oh well, it's uh, it, it's it's not a it's it's not a you know the 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 point that I always make is that no matter what you do, you can't leave your property lines because as soon as you leave then the possibility of things falling off the rails and losing track of the day, you know, the chances <laughs> of that rise exponentially. As soon as you leave, the chances that somebody is going to cut you off in a car and make you upset, or you're going to go to Home Depot and you're going to be treated badly, or you're going to drive to a hardware store and have them be out of something, you know, the chances of disappointment <laughs> go up hugely. Not so the to more mention, you have at home. <laughs> So, so just don't leave. And part of that is unfortunately having a 15-pound drawer of hook eyes. Yeah, you know, the problem, of course, is that you'll inevitably need something else. It's true. You'll have every hook eye except for the right one. Well, yeah. You know, and, and of course, if you don't leave, you can't go to garage sales and find new gear. True. No, that is true. I, I still do manage to, to do that. Somehow, garage sales are so much more enjoyable than go into the big box unless you need i don't know a specific piece of material like you're going to buy a four by eight sheet of plywood it's it's not hard you know mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. it's when you go in there to buy a tool that it seems to get have you noticed that 
you know, I think one of the reasons that Sears is so popular over the years is because they're one of the few places that actually have a wide variety of tools in one place. You know, you just you go to you go to Home Depot or Lowe's and they have a tool section. But, you know, it's really focused on on power tools. You know, the hand tools that they have there are are sort of scattered and they're sort of different. You never know what you're going to find. If you're going to find, you know, one brand or the next brand or you're going to find uh, uh, a particular type of tool, it would just be so nice if there were more tool shops. Yeah, it's true. I mean, with with Sears, they have the corner, I think, in, in most neighborhoods now on automotive tools. If you need the little gizmo to take the... Um, uh, the window handles off of your door panel, or if you need, uh, you know, something that, that is a car tool and not a, a woodworking tool, there aren't a lot of places to get that stuff anymore. At least without ordering one. Right. Without ordering one and, or, you know, driving around and trying to find a truck and buying it off the snap on or Matco or Mac guy. Of course, you can always just, uh, if you buy enough, arrange for the truck to make a stop regularly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here's the, I don't know if you guys know about this. Uh, I actually, I touched on it in my last column that I wrote for Make, which also talked about Dean Tools. Do you guys know that there's a separate warranty for professionals and amateurs from Snap-on? Absolutely. Isn't that staggering? You know, I yes and no. I think that uh, it, it, this is a real heated subject. I mean, whenever the Craftsman warranty, for example, being the most famous one, of course, for amateurs uh, or, you know, or, or just getting started pros, whenever this comes up, we always get a flood of email and a flood of calls from people saying, you know, that's not true or that is true or, or I had this experience or, or something else. I'm like, you know, the Craftsman warranty is pretty famous. If it's a hand tool and Craftsman makes it, then it has a lifetime warranty, lifetime of the tool. You can bring it back and they'll replace it or repair it. Now, you know, we, we wrote a, a post a while back on Toolmonger going into, you know, why that has not actually changed and yet why it really has in some ways. For example, uh, the wording of the warranty itself has not changed. And that wording, though, when you analyze it, has some very interesting applications. Specifically, the first and foremost concern is, what is a hand tool? And mm -hmm. uh, the definition has varied pretty dramatically over the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, for example, one of the most common, uh, you know, surprise moments for everyone is that, according to Sears, hammers are not hand tools. And, mm -hmm. and that means that in many cases, uh, some Sears brand hammers, some various hammers that Sears sells, carry manufacturer's warranties of a year or two years. Some carry no warranty at all. Um, on Even the, if they say craftsman. Absolutely, know. regardless, because it's not a hand tool. Other uh, kind of concerns come in the area of repair versus replace. And, and uh, you know, there's always the guy who says, hey, I took it in and they, they gave me another one that was kind of beat up. And of course, that is a repair. They actually, many, many Sears stores, especially the larger ones, uh, you know, keep a rollaway full of repair tools. They have uh, kits that, uh, according to a number of people who've worked for them that called us and emailed us, uh, let us in on the fact that, that, you know, they have repair kits for ratchets, for example, which tend to break in some very predictable ways. 
and mm-hmm. often the bearings and the bearing races inside break and that sort of thing. So it's a it's a pretty easy repair that that even a salesman can do. Uh, so they repair the ones that come in and put them back in and give them to the next guy. You know, so it's an instant swap. Um, and of course, you know, there is always the possibility that the individual who makes the determinant, the final determination, which is the salesperson you talk to, or if, if you're loud enough, maybe the salesperson's manager, you know, or this in that particular area of the store, you know, has a huge say over what's going to happen. So our, our kind of attitude has always been, don't be a jerk. Number one, if you go in and say, you know, you're going to do X, Y, Z, then they're probably not going to if there's any possible way they can't. And I've actually heard the same sort of thing with Snap-on. You know, the the guy in the truck has quite a lot of say over what that warranty actually means. And, uh, you know, if you're kind of a guy who doesn't buy much from him and you don't really, um, maybe you're not very friendly or you seem Mm -hmm. very difficult to deal with for him, then that's the kind of provision that allows that guy to say, look, I'm not going to deal with this. Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, personally, we've never had any issue. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. then again, I mean, I have to admit when the few times and I really don't own a lot of snap on tools and I I own a few Mac tools and both times that I've I've bought snap on or Mac tools and Sean, you bought a couple times too. just a few. We actually, you know, found the, the, the oil change place up the street from us where they make a stop. We know when they make a stop. So whenever we want to buy something, we just, you know, run up there at that time and meet the truck and talk to them. Right. And, and we've been treated pretty much like a pro, I think. Right. Well, if you look on the Snap-on website and read the warranties that are there, there is the professional warranty which is a lifetime warranty along the lines of what you would expect. And I imagine that they would cover a, a ball peen hammer, um, although probably not the handle as that would be considered a consumable. But there's a whole separate category for amateurs. And to for the amateur warranty, you have to send Snap-on a letter describing what the tool is that you're inquiring about and then they will respond and tell you what the specific warranty is for that tool. And I was shocked. You know, Snap-on is a legacy for me. Uh, you know, my grandfather, my father, my stepfather, uh, mechanics used Snap-on tools. And it's a brand that holds a, a lot of sway with me. Uh, I think it's a deserved um uh, reverence for the brand. I think that they are great tools, but I just can't abide the uh, policy of to to separate amateurs from professionals. I, I just find it to be insulting because I am an amateur. I'm not a, a professional. I don't make my money with tools. I don't do auto repairs for people. And, you know, but at the same time, I understand they don't want to do business with people like me because people like me, for, for one thing, were cheap. And, <laughs> Always you know, a problem and, when you're buying those tools. <laughs> right, because we're cheap. We don't get the uh, the snap-on financing. You know, we're never going to buy an $8,000 rollaway from them. <laughs> and, and they recognize that, and the company is geared in that way. But the crazy thing is you can, as an amateur, buy the tools off the website, but you can't return the tools to them. It has to be returned through a truck. Now, you can imagine how long you can sit around waiting. If you break a screwdriver, call your local Snap-on franchisee and tell them that you'd like to return this broken screwdriver that you bought online. 
Oh, yeah. And that is the yeah. only mechanism to get the stuff returned. Which is, well, see, that's why I think I would advocate not buying online, and at least when it comes to them, because uh, this, the system has been in place for years via trucks. And, and whether you're talking about Snap-on or Mac or MacCo, you know, these are, are – they have a method by which they intend to sell. And, you know, you can call and find your local Snap-on like you said, the guy that has the franchise, the the guy that covers the area that you're in, and they'll actually make a stop by your house if you ask, and you're not a jerk, and you're buying something of reasonable size. If not, they'll arrange, they'll tell you where they're going to be, and you can spin by and meet them. And it gives you a whole level of service that is just above and beyond just buying the specific tool. I mean, uh, the my great example is the first time I had an interaction with Mac, for example, a, as a customer. You know, uh, obviously we had we had talked about and tested some of the tools but the first time i just went and bought we had a really freaky situation we had bought a crate motor for a uh, 95 gmc yukon and the crate motor came with some really odd plugs in uh, in in various places on the engine intake manifold for one right and we were having a hell of a time finding a specific tool that would remove those plugs easily and uh, these are plugs to close a passage so nothing drops in the engine. Well, yeah, and and for uh, some of them are in places where you're going to install sensors or other items. I see. And, and some of them are for optional items where you're going to leave the the plug in. Right, like if you were plumbing a supercharger or something like that in into places or turbos and stuff, they'll they'll have plugs on the manifold for it, and they'll just be sealed up in case you never need to use anywhere that. you need vacuum. You know, you're right. going to get extra vacuum it. taps and yeah. that sort of thing. Right. So, right. but they, they had a, they had a square hole in them of an odd size and we just really weren't familiar with it. And we went, stopped by and, and met the truck and, and asked guy, Hey, we've got a, you know, a, a GM crate motor and it has this, this, uh, it has these, he's like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Hang on. And he comes back out with what, what are they called? I don't remember. Pipe something or other. Yeah. I can't remember what it is, is it's a, it's a square drive and funky size that fits right in them, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, just popped it right off, and we we whipped out the checkbook and left, and it was great, you know. And I think that's the kind of thing that they're really depending on more so than just you know the guy that wants to buy a screwdriver set online. They're looking for you know somebody that wants to really integrate and have a personal experience. So on one level, it's kind of frustrating if you want to buy online, but on the other level, I think that personal experience is something that I'm really scared will go away. Oh no, I agree with you. I mean, as a professional. There's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't buy from them, as long as you know you're rich as Midas and don't mind spending that money on the best tools. Um, <laughs> because you're absolutely right; they will take care of you in ways that you know that nobody else would be able to take care of you. And their knowledge is extremely deep. And those guys on the trucks know a whole bunch that they've learned from other mechanics of how they're using their uh, their tools. They'll give you tips that are that are hard to come by. Oh yeah. Uh, the the you know just my point is, it's just disappointing to buy a two hundred dollar ratchet and not have a a known warranty or a, you know there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to send it back to them to get it replaced. I mean it's a big company. I can't argue. I have to admit that my faith in the overall warranty system with all tools has been uh, somewhat shaken by the the dramatic experiences that I've heard from so many people with Toolmonger. And 
I have to admit that I tend to look more now for a tool that's going to last than a tool that has a great warranty. And it's funny that those things often combine in every combination. I mean, you can end up with a, a relatively poor tool that has a great warranty, a great tool with a great warranty, a great tool with a poor warranty, and vice versa, you know, every combination. But, it, and, and brand names, I think I've been a little broken from brands. You know, I always had, as you said, a reverence for a particular brand. And, you know, over 100 years, those brands, they just move around. They take uh, different directions and and uh, they produce different materials and and, uh, you know, the whole concept behind them changes. And often those brands are bought and sold for huge amounts of money because they are so valuable. Uh, and, and sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a bad thing. But in the end, uh, you know, I tend to look at them individually. And, uh, you know, a great example of this are power tools. You know, you craftsmen for many years had, uh, well, I know that my father, for example, was just, especially with bench power tools, was a huge believer in them. And we've tested quite a few of them and some of them are excellent and some of them are not so great. And, you know, when you look at the way they design and the, the way they contract the particular construction of each one, uh, you know, it's, it's possible to have a large amount of difference there. And, and Snap-on is a good example of that too, in that uh, some of the Snap-on power tools are just really not a, a tremendous deal. I can see paying $200 for a ratchet that's going to last you your whole lifetime, even if you don't use the warranty. But, uh, you know, the concept of paying four or $500 for a driver that you can buy uh, virtually a, a virtual identical driver with a similar warranty for, you know, $130 with a different brand on it. Hard to get me excited, you know? No, absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, things like um, uh, floor jacks and uh, welders and uh, power tools and that type of stuff. You know, I don't I don't know that it's a smart idea to buy Snap-on because, you know, they're not being made in Kenosha or, you know, whatever the Snap-on plant is. They're being contracted out to somebody else and you're paying the, the Snap-on prestige price without getting a tool that is markedly different than anybody else's tool. Right. Those hand tools just really are the are the bread and butter, you know, the rest varies dramatically. I can't go too far without asking you what kind of projects you're working on right now. Uh, that's a good question. Um, Besides looking for a home for those, uh, those nine screw cars hooks. and eighty bicycles and the uh, the eye hooks, yeah, yeah. the the uh, The eye hook project has luckily slowed down quite a bit now that I've made peace <laughs> with that fifteen pound drawer. That's really moved to the to the bottom of my list. Um, the stuff I'm working on, you know, I've got this new blog, Dinosaurs and Robots, that I've been working on a lot. Has been taking up a lot of time. Has been great. Started it with with my friend Mark Froenfelder, the uh, editor of Make and the um, guy that started uh, BoingBoing.net, and we've been having a great time with it. The focus is uh, inspired real deal objects, kind of what we're talking about of these tools of to, you know, to step beyond the trend and the name brand and just looking at, at objects as, 
as art, as utility, as whatever their, uh, you know, their purest form is. One of the things that we do is uh, I do Mystery Tool Monday, which also embarrassingly, I have a lot of tools around the shop that I don't even know what they're for. Oh, that's not embarrassing. And, that's good. That's cool. Yeah. So, so it turns out that there was plenty of just in my own inventory to keep Mystery Tool Monday going. And just this week, <clears throat> I put up a tool. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was for... Uh, uh, one of those, uh, the old tool for doing a flat repair by the side of the road where you would, uh, you know, to, to do a tire plug. And I was blown away. People answered it immediately and said it was a wrench for removing Zerk fittings, you know, the grease fittings on oh, suspension yeah. components or, or grease fittings on anything, I guess. And, you know, this is after 20 years I've been taking those out with a box wrench. I had no idea there was a particular <laughs> You, you know, and, we, you know, it, it was great because now I know where to put that tool in my toolbox. Now I can put it with the grease fitting stuff. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about your uh, unique experience uh, with the with the Japanese magazine and everything else. And uh, just like to remind listeners that uh, you have a couple of sites going. There is, of course, hoopyrides.com, uh, which is updated somewhat uh, irregularly, but with really cool stuff when it's updated. Uh, kind of more of a personal effort, I think, right? And then uh, dinosaursandrobots.com, the new site, uh, handling some of these unique items and, of course, lots and lots of tools. Absolutely. And are you guys going to Maker Fair? Oh, yes. We will be there. What have you guys got planned? We are actually building a very large dinosaur. Awesome. Uh, you, know the, you know those little... Um, I don't know what you call it, but the little... The little balsa wood kits you get in the museum yeah, of like the dinosaurs and everything like that that uh, kids mm-hmm. can put together. Yeah, we're building one that's bigger than a car. I mean, he's going to be huge, like 20 feet maybe. And how are you going to build it? It's kind of a unique method. We scaled up a small design and uh, then had to, of course, work for the deal with the materials because we're using plywood and it doesn't really have the same, uh, uh, the same material qualities as the balsa wood, especially when it gets large. And uh, then came the fun part of taking the design and actually making it in the large form, uh, which has involved a lot of computer scaling and projecting them and creating templates. And then, mm-hmm. of course, the fun part will be uh, cutting it and assembling it on site. So I see. So you're going to have people out there with, uh, with saber saws cutting this thing apart? <laughs> you got it. Yep. And circ saws and probably a little bit of sanding, I would guess. That'll be exciting. <laughs> Uh, yeah. That's a word for it, <laughs> and it's neat. We have a we're going to have a little table for kids with the small version, and and it looks like we've got some people coming out to uh, talk to the kids about uh, dinosaurs. This is actually a Stegosaurus that we're building, so should be a lot of fun. That's fantastic. Well, I'll see you guys at Maker Fair, and hopefully, all of you listening can make it out to Maker Fair too, as well. That is uh, May third and fourth. Yes, correct? it is. Yes, yeah. it is. May third and fourth, and it's in San Mateo at the San Mateo Fairgrounds in California. If you're in the Bay Area, hopefully you'll stop by and uh, look for the big dinosaur and come say hi to the Toolmonger crew. And uh, I guess that's about it this week. You got anything else, Sean? Boy, I think that uh, from Mr. Jalopy to you know, Nailers <laughs> to Top 5, yeah, I'm about spent. That's, that works. <laughs> we'll just pick it. We were going to talk about some of the uh, new hands-ons going on, but I guess we'll just save that for next week. Yeah. So We'll see you next week.